This is the DTV Digest, the podcast that brings you news and reviews of films which didn't make it to the cinema. And now, here's your host, Mike Parkin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the DTV Digest. I'm your host, Mike Parkin, and joining me tonight, as usual, is Richard Hawes. Hello, everyone. And Steve swanning off in, where is it, Benidorm? Benidorm, he's off in Benidorm. Again. Right before Christmas. Lucky devil. Lucky devil, indeed. Although you say that, Rich, but, you know, he has missed out on a couple of winners this week. We're going to kick off with John Woo's Return to the Screen, Silent Night. Then we've got John Cena in Freelance. Uh, Then we have an indie film called Alice in Terrorland, followed by Blackout and Beneath Us All. Our short shot this week is a Star Wars fan film called The Lost Relic. And then we're going to wind up with James Belushi. James Belushi, isn't it? Yes. Jim or Jim Belushi. Jim or James. You can call him either. Indeed. Him. Uh, Brother of John in Made Men. And and a brilliant turn by a certain Timothy Dalton. But that's all to come later on. Let's crack on. Our first film then is Silent Night. Brian Godluck's world is shattered forever when his son is killed by a stray bullet from a gunfight between two rival gangs, and he himself ends up shot, losing the ability to speak in the process. Brian spends the next 12 months leading up to Christmas Eve to prepare his body, soul and mind to wreak retribution on those responsible for his son's death. This is a film, Rich, I've been waiting for all year. Um, you know, this, this has taken a long time to come out. I don't know if it's the writer's strike or what that, that held it up, but, you know, I was ready for this in January 2023. And even then it had been delayed. You know, um, this was meant to come out last year at some point. So we've been waiting and waiting and waiting. The build-up has been pretty unbearable. The the trailers for this have kind of missold the film as well. They've really sort of played up the, you know, the fact that it's a John Woo film, there's guns, there's action, all this sort of stuff. But the film itself is it's it's a little bit more thoughtful than that. You know, uh, there's there's a lot more sort of drama to it. It is about this man's life coming crashing down very, very quickly. Um, and 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 kind of proving himself to be a bit of a, or you know, his reaction is is a bit like road rage, isn't it? Almost, you know, when we first meet him at the beginning, it's it's like you know, this horrible things happen, and he's like immediately, you know, try try to try to go for it, sort of thing. Um, whereas his wife is having to, you know, hold the body of her son, yeah, you know, cradle him. You know, he's he's sort of rushed off, and and there is kind of this element of. Um, it's it's almost like that sort of right wing dad fantasy of like you know being you know if anything happens to my kids I'll kill the person responsible and all the rest of it. Um, there's definitely that sort of thing being played out here. The film it kind of represents uh, the most is James Wan's death sentence more than oh, anything yeah. that, that than 
sort of John Woo's done in the past. Mm. Um, because it does deal with that sort of, you know, the whole sort of vengeance sort of thing and, and how it affects, you know, this, this, what, this one person. Um, I'm going to talk a bit more about it in a minute, but um, your initial thoughts. Yeah, so the uh, the key sort of selling point of the sort of the novelty of this particular film is the fact that it's dialogue free mm. uh, for the for the most part, almost exclusively so. Um, and uh, I thought that I, what, I, what I was quite impressed by how much they committed to that idea mm. uh, and really tried their best to see it through. Now, there's some unusual uh, caveats to to that so although the characters don't speak to each other although there is one moment where somebody clearly says something through a mm. gag yeah. i think they could have i think they could have muffled that a bit more and it would have helped um it, uh, keep the keep the consistency of that particular um thing but you've kind of got to go with the concept because it's um in some senses, it doesn't really make any sense that that not, literally none of the characters are talking. They they work around it quite well for the most part. Um, there's things like, for example, uh, uh, him and uh, him and his wife uh, don't talk, and yeah. there's an undercurrent of it's too difficult for them to talk. Kind of, you know, the, the, exactly. There's a yeah. there's, the, a, the there's a rationale, down, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, the relationship is breaking down, and and the, they find it difficult to communicate to. There's that whole communication in a relationship thing that work that mm. helps that. Um, there's other bits where they where you know they'll go into a place where there's all the bad guys, or they encounter some bad guys or whatever, and the bad guys just don't say anything either. And in some cases, I think that works is fairly off you know it works okay and other times it just seems yeah. too forced the but, thing is i mean yeah. for, for me a lot of it is you know they're in situations where either there's no one to actually talk to or it, it, it wouldn't make sense for them to start speaking you know and, and there's, there's there's a lot of films out there which basically force their characters into yeah. monologues just to just to allow a bit of exposition. Yeah. You know? Well, this is exactly the point I was going to come to, yeah. which is this is you know the concept here is no is really when you think about it, no more ex you know uh, un, uh, no more excessive or whatever than the opposite, which mm. is like you say when characters talk too much. So you know a lot of the cases we'll we'll just have dialogue for dialogue's sake. And it's kind of you get you get films that are like perfectly sort of centered in the middle, and then you get the other ones which are overly talky. And then you, and this has kind of gone the other way and trying to be in what can we do by being intentionally under talky. Yeah. Um, the other caveat they have is lots of uh, news broadcasts, radio uh, broadcasts, mm. um, you know, like police radio, band radio stuff for context. Um, I'm not 100 percent sure whether they actually needed to do that. Um, again, it could have they could have sort of worked around that and kept it more. I don't know. I don't know exactly why they went uh, down that route of allowing external sort of um, voices to come in as long as they were not in the scene yeah. themselves. Mm. Um, part of the concept of the film is that he doesn't talk because he was shot and you know his throat's damaged and all this sort of stuff. But I think by virtue of everything else, that really doesn't matter at all. It's like no. he, he actually they didn't need that bit. No. Uh, that doesn't actually um, 
A, the what, film in any way, because literally nobody else is talking for the yeah, Once yeah. it's established, it doesn't, it doesn't make any difference, does it? Yeah. Um, but apart from that, I would say, so sort of that bit out of the side, I think it works the concept really well. Uh, it is very, I mean, they say they commit to it for about 100 minutes, approximately. It does work quite well. Sometimes it leans into um, John Wick, uh, mm-hmm. quite uh, perhaps self-consciously. There's a whole bit where he's practicing driving his car. Uh, and trying to get the, you know, how does he, how does he drift and all that sort of stuff, and which is very, very reminiscent of um, uh, a, a scene in in the, the first, first John Wick film where, yeah. where he does a similar thing. Uh, even the, even the make of car, I think, is quite similar. You know, it's a muscle car, Mustang in this one. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if it was a Mustang in John Wick, but the uh, all the dramatic stuff I thought worked really nicely. Uh, it it made me think most in terms of John Woo's films of Face Off and uh, John mm. Travolta because you know he loses his son uh, at the start it of was, that film. It that was only missing. It was only missing the dragging the fingers down the face kind of moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, a flashback yeah. of him trailing his fingers down his son's face. <laughs> that would have done it. <laughs> yeah, I thought they did some nice stuff with the um, uh, with his mental state. Like, there's a moment in the film where he like sees a sees a boy who reminds him very much of his son, and he's like oh, yeah, yeah. hugging this. Well, and it's like Jesus, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. it's amazing he didn't get arrested for for, for that and, and stuff. Um, but all the action, as you would expect, uh, is really good. I mean, he uh, Joel Kinnaman's like, it, it, you know, he puts himself into, uh, mm. t- you know, taking this character's journey from. I'm, I'm not sure what his background. I'm not 100 percent whether he was out. supposed to have any history. Yeah, well. But, yeah, we never uh, you know in the military or anything, but he's like he's he but he works himself into shape, yeah, uh, and that's quite uh, convincing. I think all that stuff. Um, it's yeah. the it's the usual, you know, pinning all the pictures on the board and <laughs> you know sort of working out the plan kind of. There's lots of visual stuff in the in, yeah. you know, because they're having not having any dialogue. They emphasize the visual. So the one, um, so him and his wife don't talk verbally. But we do see exchanges of text messages, which I yeah. thought was quite interesting. Uh, where they use that as a couple of uh, a couple of points. In, in some cases, where they're, they're still they're in the same house, but they're still only communicating via these uh, via these yeah. text messages. He's, and stuff. he's living in the garage for that point, and he basically he's yeah like... <laughs> yeah he's just count, counting down. Lots of say lots of really nice visual stuff. There's a bit where um, uh, he's got I don't know what they call the you know the balls. That, that you know you touch one and it, you know you, it starts a, a reaction and and the, mm. the motion uh, uh the momentum sort of carries through to the ball on the end uh, mm. and we see like oh, the, uh, on the date yeah. newton's cradle that was it um we see the reflections on like some of the dates through that mm. there's there's a couple of other uh, interesting visuals in there i'm not sure if there's any doves uh, i can't remember no, if there were any, no, doves or any pigeons doves. Right. um there was uh, in terms of the action there's a bit near the beginning with a car crash, which mm-hmm. is obviously CGI, which sort of took me about, took me out of it a little bit, but uh, because of, uh, that was perhaps uh, evidence a bit of the budget constraints, because this isn't a massive budget movie; it's fairly mid-budget, yeah. I would say. Um, but I thought the, you know, the action action team, stunt team, and everyone did a you know Joel Kinnaman carries this film entirely. On his shoulders without saying a word, which is which is pretty, um, was pretty tough, pretty pretty well, um, good going. We saw him recently in Sympathy for the Devil yep. with Nicolas Cage, and I, I'm, I didn't mind him in it, but I wasn't particularly taken. But I think you know I've seen him in quite a few things now. Wasn't he in RoboCop the remake as well? I was think, that him. I think so. 
Yeah, he's in um, a series on uh, Apple TV called For All Mankind. He's in oh, he's in that as well. Isn't he? He's yeah. in quite a lot of stuff. I think. I think uh, he's. And the, um, oh God, what was the series called now? Oh, based on a film, a woman's name. Oh, it's killing me. No, it's gone. I want, I want to say Anna, Hannah, Hannah. He was, he was oh in, yeah, he's oh, in, in the, the TV. TV he's in the TV version. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's he's a good sort of physical actor, and I I I did like the fact that you know he he took you know his character takes the time to plan and to train you know to learn how to use weapons, how to you know do close quarters fighting, how to drive, all of this stuff you know recuperate his yeah. body. He's not in a rush, you know. It's the old Cleon proverb of you know revenge is a best a this best served cold, and it, it reminded me of the film Peppermint. With um oh yeah yeah uh, what's her name uh, Jennifer Jennifer Garner Garner um, because her character does something similar you know her family gets wiped yeah. out by the, the the street gang and she she disappears for five years yeah and you're starts, right yeah and, and starts training with all these special ops people and stuff like that and, and eventually sort of comes back uh, to take revenge so so yeah there's there's that side of it there's, there's um. It's an interesting bit, it's a weird sort of juxtaposition where um, Brian, he, he tracks down the bag man, the one who sort of sorts out all the money for, for this gang. And mm. he's living in this very nice swanky house with, you know, this glass stairway and then everything which he gets thrown through. Um, but then he's sort of like, you see how, you know, the head guy is living in this big sort of knocked out warehouse Sort of thing. It's like, oh no, no, I don't, I don't need creature comforts. I'm, I'm, I'm good with my, my shitty warehouse <laughs> with, with, with huge speakers and these, um, you know, the, these giant crystal, um, baubles, you know, which are sort of about, I don't know, sort of three foot in diameter or something. Which he must have got, you know. What, how do you, how do you handle that as, a, as a sort of drug kingpin? So like, I want, I want my lair to look a bit more Christmassy. You know, who who do you turn to? Do you get an interior designer to come in? You know, did you are you out sort of shopping at Macy's or something and just nick all the giant balls? Go and get me those. But anyway, I'm I'm being silly, but um, it it did sort of make me wonder when I saw that bit. Um, we've also got Kid Cudi in this film, um, playing the detective who gets sort of pulled into what's going on. Uh, so who's Kid Cudi then? I've no idea. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, in the film, you mean, or in, in real life? Well, I, I, I didn't know if he was like a, a musician or. He sounds. Sounds like the name of a, of, of a, 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 a you know recording a artist. Indeed, he is oh, a rapper. rapper. Yeah, he is a rapper. Um, yeah, he's got. Is he the guy with all the tattoos on his face? Hmm? In the movie, is he the guy with all the tattoos? No, he's a detective. Oh, he's the detective. He's the oh, detective, okay. Yeah. Um, Harold Torres played um, player, mm. our, our main guy. And then we got uh, Yoko Hamamura, who played Ruiz, mm. who's, who's sort of the big guy with the with his name written on his face. Yeah. Um, the one who's sort of in control of the car chase. And then he, he, you think he's dead, and then he comes back, you know, as, as a classic henchman move, basically. You know, classic Ruiz kind of move. Um, so he, he was pretty good in that, I thought. Um, so overall, 
Rich. How are you going to race it? I'm going to... Uh, just a quick note, uh, Marco Beltrami's score is very good, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, I think it's an eight, because I think it really, it, you know, it might not be Wu at 100% his best, mm. but, you know, he's committed to the concept. Uh, I think they've developed it really well. You know, it's a, it's a, an in, it's a good spin on a very, very familiar kind of story. It yep. brings something fresh to the, you know, to the action movie. Um and uh, yeah, I think it was, it, it definitely hot is the highlight uh, of the action year, I would say. Oh, I'm, I'm actually giving it a seven. And I, th I think the reason is it's, it's the bad guy because he doesn't really sort of make much of an impact throughout the film. He's, he's just there at the end kind of thing. Mm. And I, th I think they kind of missed a the trick there. E e even with the sort of lack of dialogue, I think they could have done more with the character, um, which is a bit of a shame. You know, it could, it could have been... Yeah, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. But other than that, and I think it does, you know, there is that sort of anticipation factor that I'm sort of having to deal with. Um, so it's definitely a seven at the moment. It may drift to an eight the next time I see it, you know. But at the moment, it's it's, it's a seven. Um, so, how would you feel about it if it was a traditional dialogue kind of movie? If you imagine it with the dialogue, mm. yeah. I how, mean, that, how, would, how would you? I'd probably, do you think it would have worked in the same way, or do you think it would? Do you think it really needed this gimmick to make it stand out, or do you think that it could have been just just a, like a bit like a death sentence or a John Wick or whatever? Could it have? Could it have? Uh, you know. It would have been longer. Done it in a more traditional way. Yeah. I, no, I, I think I think this, you know, they, they've streamlined the narrative for sure. And, you know, we, we're, we're old hands at this, Rich. We've seen so many damn films. We've reviewed over 150 this year. Um, Without and, the dialogue, though, I, would just, I, I, was, I was walking into this expecting it to be 80 minutes. Hmm. It was really, I was really surprised that it was as long as it was because I thought... Hmm. You know, you strip all that stuff, you know, like you say, you strip out all the dialogue and that. And I thought it was going to be a very quick, but they spend a lot of time on quite slow uh, character development yeah. kind of um, stuff. It is a bit of a slow burn for that first, um, I would say probably about, the first half. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it does. But I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, the, th the thing is, uh, you know, the point I was trying to make is mm. I, I think it would have been a bit trite. I can't imagine, you know, unless they got someone really good with with you know the sort of spinning lines i think that any dialogue would have probably dragged it down a bit mm -hmm. but that's you know just because it's so familiar territory but there you go and how do you feel about it missing out on a on a cinema release because uh in this case yeah. it's uh it's been brought up by sky so mm -hmm. it's, oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's a christmas premiere over on the on on the, on the sky yeah. cinema channel rather than um getting any kind of cinema release here it's, not even a you know not even a day in the cinema even, i know and I, I was i was i was expecting it to get at least you know a day like like for example in the states um, rebel moon you know which is going straight yeah. to netflix uh, you know that's well that's with had, sky uh, the um yeah cuz um rebel moon's got like a, it's coming out at christmas but it's yeah. it's it's having a little bit of a, a, a time before i don't know if that's the came here in the uk i know yeah. that's happening in america but the um, the thing is, Sky used to do, um, and they're going to do it. Well, 
are they going to do it? But they used to do films like Final Score mm. would come out on the platform and, or, you know, on the channel. Mm-hmm. But they would also be in selected cinemas at the same time. Yeah. And since before, you know, since COVID and everything, they haven't gone back to that model. Mm. So they've only been putting, they haven't been putting films in cinemas. They're changing it that next year with The Beekeeper, um, mm. which uh, it looks like they're going to put in cinemas and with a, you know, and that's not going to be on the platform. It's not going to be on Sky Cinema immediately, day and day sort of thing. It's going to, it's going to be, it's, it's literally like, they're putting out as a cinema release, as a proper cinema release, and then eventually, because they own the rights, it will be it will go on to their service, which is quite different for them. Um, but um, yeah, I think it was. I th- I thought that you know when I heard that it was gonna it was gonna skip skip cinemas, that it was probably gonna be a Netflix or a or yeah. on Amazon. But when I think it was Ty Singh posted about it, saying it's not <laughs> it's not Amazon and it's not Netflix, mm. I was thinking. To me, there's only one other player. <laughs> it's got to mm. be Sky, and, and then, uh, then yeah, that's that's, uh, that's how it's turned out to be. So, the um, um, it's it's annoying. We don't normally preview films on Sky, no. but uh, this was one that sort of really stood out. Uh, you know, obviously, like you say, we've been wanting to see it for ages, and uh, so uh, uh, I'm, I'm I'm glad that we because I thought you know oh it's going to turn up on the channel. We won't get a chance to see it beforehand. We won't get a chance mm. to cover it. So. I'm really glad that we've been able to cover it this week for our um, Christmas episode. Yeah. So, but you know, there, there is a certain stigma still, I think, with films going straight to streaming. You know, regardless which uh, platform it is. You know, mm. I, have, I have seen comments from people who obviously don't know who John Woo is or not really bothered. You know, it's like, oh, it's gone, it's gone straight to Sky. How bad is it? You know, it, it's it's that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, there's that little bit of stigma still to to films that go straight to um, a streaming channel rather than getting a cinema release. But at least with Sky, you know, there's a good chance it'll get a physical release at some point. Um, you know, I've, I've got my um, final score DVD downstairs. So, you know, hopefully a, a Blu-ray of Silent Night is it, it, on the cards at some point. Should be good. Yeah, I would expect so. I would expect so. Yeah. Anyway, so that is a seven and an eight for John Woo's Silent Night. As we said, coming out on Sky Cinema in a week's time. Go check it out. Our next film is Freelance. Ex-Special Forces soldier Mason Petitz takes a job as security for a journalist who is going to interview a reclusive dictator, a dictator Mason had previously been on a mission to kill and who is responsible for the death of the rest of his squad. When a military when a military coup occurs, Mason finds himself saddled not only with the safety of the journalist, but also the dictator. I said to you, Rich, um, when we got the screener for this, and looking at the poster, I said, never has a film looked more like straight to Amazon um, than this. And I and I stand by that comment. <laughs> it really, you know, it is that sort of slightly light, slightly actually kind of movie. Um, you know, I do like John Cena. I think he's quite good in this. Um, I do like Alison Brie. She was good in um, uh, Community. So, you know, decent pairing. And we we get a bit of Christian Slater in the mix as well. It's light and breezy for the most part. 
What did you make of it? I quite liked it, actually. I mean, it's got some flaws. It reminded me a lot of The Lost City, the recent um, Channing Tatum and Sandra Bullock movie, mm-hmm. uh, which in turn uh, remind me of uh, Romancing the Stone, which I think this film is leaning on a little bit. Um, both of those, perhaps. I'm not sure when it, when the genesis was, but um, the, thematically, it's quite similar to The Lost City in, in a few in a few ways. Um, but I'm, the thing is, what what separates it from th- films like Romancing the Stone is that it's not and and The Lost City is it's not a romantic um, comedy action movie kind of in that same kind of way because mm. uh, established in the first part of the film uh, that John Cena is married. Uh, there's a little bit of a true lies-ish sort of thing going on. And we get, get in a sort of an establishment of uh, he's working as a lawyer and stuff. And his relationship uh, with his wife isn't going so well. But he's very clear as the movie's going on that he wants to get back to his wife. Yeah. And the uh, who's played by Alice Eve, uh, incidentally. Um, so him and Alison Brie don't get there's there's a little bit of a free sort of tension and stuff mm. and uh, she sort of comes on to him a little bit and stuff but he's very sort of he sort of goes no no um it's not it's not gonna that's not gonna happen and then the film kind of sort of struggles to go in in a different direction and say okay we're gonna instead of being a romantic stone kind of thing we're gonna do a sort of a more of a midnight run kind of setup mm. with him in the robert de niro role and um uh um what's his name uh one pablo yeah, who's called uh, Charles Grodin kind of character, yeah. One Pablo Rama, yeah, who is great. Uh, he mm. steals the film, I think, as Venegas. But what I struggled with was the the film establishing Venegas as this dictator, um, mm. and not a benevolent dictator, you know, quite you know, quite a cruel dictator at times, it seems, and establishing that about his character. And even though they try and sort of address that and have him sort of, come around and maybe he's not such a bad guy after all and you know sort of go oh okay i made some mistakes in the past or whatever but it's quite a big leap that it seems that it wants you to sort of be fully on his side by the end of the movie Hmm. and uh i think i struggled with that sort of uh that journey uh so that wasn't quite working for me although i thought i think he was fantastic he wears this great white suit uh, or or Mm -hmm. off-white suit for the majority of the film. And there's so many action sequences or whatever, um, but he never gets a, any dust on it or any, he even gets shot. And there's, I don't think there's a bullet hole in it. It's a John Wick style bulletproof suit. Yeah. <laughs> no, he, he does say that, you know, after his girl, it's bulletproof or something. So, oh, yeah. okay. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, John Cena's John Cena's done a lot of this. I, I mean, I, I can think of like at least one other film where John Cena has done the narrating his character mm. kind of uh, setting up uh, thing. He, he, I think, you know, he's done quite a few movies now. I mean, you throw, I mean, the concept of this film is not a million miles away from the Marine. You know, in that yep. movie, he was trying to, you know, he was out of the force. He was trying to do a regular job, and it was just not working for him. And and um, and then he obviously ends up in that action suit. Good film that also a um a director video uh yeah. release but the so he's made quite a lot of movies now and he this kind of role for him is kind of a walk in the park he is being who you expect him to be it's not a massively dramatic character or him playing against type or anything like that it's 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 fine it's it's just him doing that and that works i think that's okay mm. i think the film feel it looks good but i think it yeah. feels a bit cheap 
Mm-hmm. Um, Christian Slater comes in a little bit. Uh, he's got the, uh, the sort of private security firm and stuff at the beginning. I loved all the setup. I really liked the narration and the sort of the true lies-ish sort of he's living this, um, you know, regular Joe sort of life. Yeah, but then he's reminded me a bit of. Um, it did remind me a bit of like the Incredibles. You know, you know when mm. he when he's a lawyer, is is that bit where, where he, in in the Incredibles where he's having to sort of do this sort of crappy insurance job? You know, uh-huh. it, it sort of reminded me a bit of that. Um, yeah, yeah. When he, when he's sort of having to take on these really stupid bloody jobs, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, arguing with the phone company on behalf of his client and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, then we got Mar- uh, so Venegas is initially introduced as a villain, but then mm-hmm. things change. And Martin Sokas, mm-hmm. uh, I'm probably butchering his name, uh, comes in as a, a South African mercenary. Uh, I thought he was really good. He's played quite a few um, movie bad guys going back to Triple X and stuff. Yeah. I think he's from New Zealand uh, originally, um, but he's, he's he kind of look he quite looks the part. There's some good fight stuff. They, they have kind of like yep. a bit of a climactic uh, fight scene at the end. It's quite disposable. Um, I thought it's uh, directed by Pierre Morel, who, who certainly knows what he's doing with action and stuff. It's um, it was theatrically released in in the states. It's not really a surprise to see it skipping cinemas. I don't think it, I don't think no. it is a theatrical quality film. It's not quite to that standard. Um, although it's very well made, it's it's absolutely fine. But it's kind of quite a generic action movie in South America kind of which we don't actually see as much as we used to mm. um, there used to be loads of them um, but, and I thought that <laughs> yeah well I thought actually the spin on the you know because the going to South America to kill the yeah. dictator you know mi- million times with McBain and you know with Chris oh, Walken yeah. all that sort of stuff um, I thought they twisted that quite nicely where they sort of tried to do something a little bit different but really um, I, I, I could, it didn't quite work for for me, I liked it, but there's just not everything quite worked. So I think it's sort of, um, it's 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 passable. You know, it's entertaining. It, you know, it's, you get you, you like your John Cena, you're going to enjoy it. Yeah, I mean John John Cena. You know, you you mentioned the Marine earlier, which was his first mm. feature, um, mm. and then he shortly after that he did Twelve Rounds with um, Rennie Harlan. And yes. my issue with those films is that his his screen persona was so much different to his arena persona as a wrestler. You yeah. know, he he has a natural comedic talent. You know, he he is very good at lots of different elements of comedy, including sort of slapstick and and, and all yeah. this. Um, Which is being know, tapped in quite a lot of the projects exactly. he's doing now. Exactly. I mean, even in you know the last Fast and Furious one, where he's you know having to babysit his his nephew mm. and stuff like that, you know he, he's able to sort of play play up that sort of thing. In this one, he get he gets a good, good couple of sort of spit take reactions and that sort of thing. Um, but you know, on, honestly, I mean, I think I think it was what was that film called Blockers, when it was a bunch yeah. of parents find out their kids are going to have sex or something and they try to stop him. He was brilliant in that, and he, you know, one of my biggest sort of belly laughs came from, you know, a scene that he was in in that film. Uh, you know, I was in conniptions really. Um, so, so I'm glad, you know, the, we we get a bit of his, his sort of comedic talent in this. I did like Alison Brie. There's a really good bit early on when when we see her sort of montage of, um, you know, she's this hard hitting journalist in one moment winning a Peabody, 
uh, and the next she's been taken down because you know she hadn't checked her sources or something and sort of you know got caught up in a libel case and then she's on you know something like MTV doing cribs or something you know yeah, some, yeah. some equivalent of cribs and sort of you know having to sort of change episode that's sort of suit that um that, that that was all sort of very good you, you know you see her sort of having to swallow her pride with every single sentence she has to say under that that, that was a lot of fun so yeah there's you know there's nice little elements to this but it is as you say a bit on the cheap side there's nothing really spectacular about what was what we're seeing. Um, whereas, you know, with the Lost City, the, there's a whole element, you know, the, the whole bit at the end with the with the city, you know, the Indiana Jones stuff to sort of really yeah, elevate yeah. it. Um, this, this one is kind of like, if you take that away from Lost City, this is kind of what you're left with, basically. This film has a helicopter crash, but it doesn't explode. It doesn't explode. I can't believe it. Yeah. I was like, Two. what? Two helicopter crashes, I mean, in fact. Two, yeah, basically. Yeah. And I was like, oh. So that was, I, I couldn't, because, yeah, a little, um, okay, the explosion might cost a bit more in visual effects mm. and, and stuff because they wouldn't. Mm. Um, but, yeah, was that a budgetary thing? I don't know, but it felt a bit weird that, that it, it didn't. Probably more um, realistic, I don't know. But I did I like that. I, I don't I, want I did, it to be realistic. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's true. I did, I did like the fact that he was proud of the fact that he'd sort of sniper killed the, the pilot, you know, you sort of wanted it on video for later. That was quite amusing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, how are you going to score it? Ooh. Uh, I think I'm going to go a six on this one. Mm-hmm. It's not quite a seven, I don't think. I I think I agree with you. I can see myself watching this again with my wife when it comes on Amazon. You know, whenever that is, it's bound to come on Amazon at some point. Or, or or Netflix, you know. It's well, it is on Amazon because it's premiering on Amazon. Oh, well, it's, there you uh, go. Coming to Prime at, uh, in uh, in New Year, uh, oh. I think on the first of January. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, my prediction was right. Um, yeah, so I can I can see myself watching this again because my wife will want to watch it, and and I, I got no problem with that. You know, I'll quite happily sit through it again. But yes, so two sixes for freelance. Go check it out. Our next film is Alice in Terrorland. Following a tragic event, young Alice is sent to live with her grandmother in her palatial home. However, Alice soon finds herself face to face with strange figures in the house and soon disappears down a rabbit's hole in her mind. Uh, I did not enjoy this one, Rich, unfortunately. Um, it's not the first film to try and use Alice in Wonderland as an allegory for other issues and other things going on. Um, there are some nice bits in this, some interesting areas, but overall I found this to be just too badly paced. Um, how did you get on with it? Yeah, I think that that's fair. To, I think I re- a bit like Freelance, I really enjoyed the setup. Mm-hmm. I was quite into it, but I think as soon as the like proper Alice in Wonderlandy stuff started happening, basically when when she meets the White Rabbit, mm. and that's the real budget limitation kind of stuff coming into play, um, I just didn't think that worked. That didn't work for me so much, and I was kind of drifting away. And this is a film that's only basically seventy minutes plus credits, mm. so it's like seventy minutes of story, 
uh, I quite it's Rula Lenska, uh, TV actress yep. uh, from the uh, best known from the 1980s, it is uh, top build, uh, and I thought, or oh, maybe that was a bit uh, uh, in, not inappropriate, but I, I don't like it when uh, a big name, uh, the bigger name of the movie, uh, mm. is it, perhaps in a small role. But then yeah, yeah. their credit is like so. Uh, this happened with um, the Continental TV series recently. Mel Gibson is in it as the villain. Yeah, yeah. And he's, he's not like, in that much, is he? Yeah, couple of scenes. No, exactly. And he is top build. Mm-hmm. It should be it. And in cases like it that, should it should always and, be an and yeah. or a with. Oh, yeah. uh, and in this case, so Rula Lenska gets the top building, and she does deserve that for the sort of first part of the movie. She's really. Um, she is the sort of dominant act, you know, performer. Mm-hmm. She's in it a lot. She, she, you know, she, she earns that credit. Uh, it is the young girl who's sort of the main character, um, but you know, we, we, that's that, you know, the that, that I'm okay with that billing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did like Rulenska in it. Uh, the the film, the director is uh, Richard John Taylor, mm-hmm. who we've come across before. He was the guy who. Um, was quite controversial. Uh, quite controversial because there was like an article written in 2014 saying he was a con man and you know he was exploiting mm. his uh, position at um, uh, EastEnders, which is where I think he met Leslie. Well, pro- almost certainly is where he met Les- Leslie Grantham, who he mm. worked with quite a lot. And uh, Leslie Leslie Grantham's. I don't know if he formed the company with him, but you'll see at the start of the film it says "Hello Princess," which mm. is the name of a production company. Uh, associated with Leslie Grantham. Uh, Le- Leslie's actually got a credit on this film, uh, I think, as an executive producer, even though he died in 2018. So whether this was one of the projects that he and he and Richard John Taylor were, were pushing through, um, you know, and been trying to develop for a while, that might be why. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so Richard John Taylor seems to have forged all these associations with actors of a certain generation, yeah. Uh, and like say, like Rula Lenska, um, like Nicholas Ball, who's appeared in some of his other films and stuff. So, um, but now he's uh, his career is really as a filmmaker has really started to take off from around 2018, 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this film is put out by High Flyers, who he seems to have a deal with that's very similar to that of Steve Lawson. Right. So he's making like two or three films. A year for high flyers. I, I, di- I didn't even realize, but um, when I was checking it, it's like this one is getting a DVD release. Mm-hmm. But he's, he ha- he's had two others which have come out on Amazon and probably other platforms. Okay. But it, it is on. He's he's got like three films out this year from high through high flyers. So he's doing really well for himself. I'm a bit sort of say I, I I'm not sure how I feel about that. You know, uh, knowing the backstory. Yep. But I'd, I'd be I'd be interested to see a bit more about that. But taking that aside, <laughs> putting that all aside, judging the film on its own merits, I think he's clearly a director with aspirations. He, he quite he's more leaning towards the artistic than the purely sort of functional or exploitational, which I kind of appreciate. But at the same time, I think films, some of his stuff uh, does suffer from. Uh, uh, budget limitations and pacing issues and stuff like yep. you've said mm-hmm. i think there's there's a lot of padding mm-hmm. there's a lot of slow motion uh some of the things just don't work there's things like um the opening credit the opening credits are repeated on the closing credits so there's credit padding um 
it says adapted from uh, adapted for the screen. You know, it talks about Alice in Wonderland. It yeah. says adapted <laughs> for the screen, which I think it's, that sounds a little bit pretentious to me. Yeah. You'd just say based on. I would have said, you know, um, so I don't know. It's it's kind of trying to be more than it really perhaps should be. Um, I feel yeah. bad saying that, but I I, lo I love the you know. Um, I love some of the, say, invention in it, but I think things like trying to present these Alice in Wonderland characters as just regular people and stuff or people in masks just didn't mm. quite work for me. Um, he's, uh, there was a film that uh, Taylor did a few years ago called Muse, which was also set in a similar kind of, uh, it, you know, it was more of a thriller about a, a guy's mental state and stuff. Yeah. And uh, in in a sort of an isolated house, very similar, you know, all this sort of uh, similar to this. He he returns to certain themes, which I think um, is interesting. But I, I am I am going to check out some of his other stuff um, because he does sort of try different genres and that. Uh, but this one for me, I thought it started out quite strong with Rula Lenska, and then it it can't really hang on to uh, hang on to what it's trying to do. Um, for the whole running time and say and when the running time is that brief um, yeah that's quite a challenge there was a film that coincidentally or not or coincidentally or not um high flyers put it out on dvd last christmas which was the winter witch also with ruler lenska mm -hmm. so I'm, so i'm gonna try and check that one out quite mm -hmm. soon as comparison that's more of a straight horror i think but i'm, I'm interested to check out that but he's also done films like um uh, Huntress of Auschwitz and, yep. and um, uh, the picture of Dorian Gray. Yep. Uh, he's done a he's done a version of that. See, he, he's so, verging, yeah, on, he's verging on uh, Steve Lawson's territory there. <laughs> well, that's why I said he he, yeah. uh, he um, high flies and and that they seem to have sort of almost echoed the the arrangement, mm. uh, which I think is quite interesting. Of you know, Steve Lawson's got a much longer um, career than than. Richard John Taylor, but but it's, Taylor's sort of gaining on him now mm. um, with the amount of projects that High Flyers are backing with him. Uh, so I think it would be remiss of me not to check check out a few more of them to see to see where you know um, yeah. where his strengths are lying and where, where you know there could be some diamonds in the rough out there. I I I'd still think you know comparing the two i'm much more familiar with steve lawson and i like what steve lawson's doing Indeed. i'm not quite sure that i'm love i'm not I'm, I'm not really loving what richard john taylor's doing yet but i'm quite intrigued mm. um so i will be checking out a couple more of his uh, his films i've only seen about 3 of them i think the another one was called vengeance we covered which that, was with uh, Bill, billy murray yeah billy murray and Jane, um, uh, anthem yeah um I mean, I, I'm about as familiar with Alice in Wonderland as any other person who hasn't actually read the book. Um, mm. But even so, I felt this was taking huge chunks out of it, you know, huge bits of dialogue and, and scenes and just plonking them on screen. Um, there's a whole bit at the end, there's a whole epilogue where, where she's, re you know, reciting this um, this whole passage as, yeah. as if it means something to what we've just seen, and I'm not yes. sure if it does. Um, it, it feels too slavish to the material. Um, there's, there's a film I really like from a few years ago called Alice Kills, or, or just Alice. 
I don't know if mm. you've ever come across that one, which which is about this this girl who accidentally kills her best friend <laughs> while, while they're mm. getting high on the on the roof, and her mental state starts to spiral out um, from there. Um, but that one did a good job of sort of, um, you, you know, there were nods to to the characters and the story, so you're familiar with it, without sort of ramming it down your throat kind of thing, which is kind of what I feel that this is doing. Um, you know, there, there are some interesting bits, but they don't really sort of go anywhere, like the bit with the butcher and the walrus, you know, uh, or no, the carpenter and the walrus mm. bit. Um doesn't really go anywhere you know it's just oh that's that's what that is is it okay let's move on to the next thing um yeah 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 so, so it, it just doesn't unfortunately it just mm. it it's i don't know if it's like you know, it's like, like, know like the cliff notes to. version or sort exactly. of thing but yeah yeah, it's... yeah i'm not I'm, I'm sort of struggling to think who who this would actually appeal to it's not a horror movie they're trying to sell it as a horror yeah. movie alison yeah. Terrorland, mm. um but it's Really not. It's um, it's it's a psychological thriller yeah. slash you know drama. Um, really, um, I think I those who are fans of the 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 book, you know, the source material, might be intrigued <laughs> about seeing a different take on it. But I think they'll probably be a the bit Johnny disappointed De- by yeah the Johnny Depp yeah <laughs> yeah. This is far. This is a long way from Tim Burton. <laughs> Um, but not that that's a bad. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. No, I, bad I have thing no interest whatsoever in the Tim Burton movies at all. I would watch this. I would compare <laughs> watch a, a sequel to this as a, as opposed to a, a, the Tim Burton oh, version God. any day of the week. Um, that's not an endorsement. That's just no. uh, my my. You know, yeah. I just have no interest. I like. I used to like Tim Burton, but I just, I think, well, I'm just not worried about. The that. Last thing I saw um, was Sleepy Hollow. Well, that was enough. Anyway, how are you going to score film. Yeah, it was. <laughs> then he went downhill. How you just got this one? Uh, I think it's got to be a four, unfortunately. Mm. I'd say I didn't hate it. I think there's a couple of decent things in there. Um, certainly, everyone's, you know, behind um, the, like the lead actress. You know, yeah. There's some, I mean, there's know, some interesting the, stuff here. Technically, no, no, not really an issue. It's, it's just I love the cinematography. I think the cinematographer on the films who, who seems to work with um, Richard John Taylor quite frequently. Cinematographer's doing a good job, I think. With them, with what what they've got to work with, yep. Um, that's one of the things I do like. I mean, but yeah, I'm, I'm trying not to be too down on it. It's just, um, it's. <laughs> I, I think it's. I think other films of his. I, I mean, Vengeance. I, I think was probably it was much cheaper. That it was even you know mm-hmm. it, was, it was probably low budget, um, more to than this. I think I quite like. I think I probably was interested a bit more in Vengeance. Yep, and. I'm 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 curious to check out. He's done like a craze film and stuff. I'm quite interested to check out um, those. He's say, regardless of the complexities of his backstory, as you know, as, you know what what is, um, it's it's intriguing to see his career taking off like this. Uh, and I do want to check out. I mean, especially with, uh, you know, the sort of uh, we haven't seen much from like. I don't know if uh, has Charlie Steeds put out much this year. I mean, I know he's been working he's, on stuff. He's got he's but, got a couple in the works. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's certain British filmmakers that um, obviously we lost Andrew Jones mm-hmm. very tragically, um, and this and so there's there's certain directors, but we're not seeing uh, as much coming through from them. So Richard John Taylor stuff's really sort of standing out to me at the moment. 
of like he's sort of um, one of the guys who's sort of coming up and uh, clearly you know putting out say, like two or three films a year, which 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 is impressive, and um, we'll probably we'll probably be discuss, discussing one at a future point. And fingers crossed, we'll uh, we'll uh, have more positive things to say. Indeed. Uh, okay. Yes. Two fours then for Alice in Terrorland. Go check it out. Our next film is Blackout. An agent on an assassination mission finds himself interrupted by others who either want to help him or kill him. Um, this is a, a slightly longer than a short film, Rich. For how long is it about? 40-odd minutes? 42 minutes, about 42, 42 minutes. minutes. Just yeah. crossing over the threshold there. So some would still classify it as a short film. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, sh- a very short feature. Short uh, feature. Essentially. Which is a shame because, really, it should just be a short. You know, um, there is a lot of stuff to like in this, some decent sorts of fights and things. But from a story point of view, um, I'm sorry, but there is just nothing nothing here to carry 40 minutes um and because of its plot in that we have a guy who's being accosted by different factions and we've got no idea whether they're good guys or bad guys it's just like everyone's fighting it's like it's it's almost like a long um our school dropouts clip <laughs> in that okay we got like a protagonist and we have no clue whether or not we should be rooting for anyone really mm-hmm. it's um yeah it's, it's a bit of a drag unfortunately and i don't think it really sort of resolves anything very much by by the end how did you get on with this one yeah i think that's um that's fair to say i mean i the reason i think the the one thing i did really like was the fight scenes because uh, Robert Samuels, Bobby Samuels, really does know what he's doing. I mean, he's 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 very good uh, with 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 the action. Uh, he's say he's he's got a past that includes working in a lot of Hong Kong films, and uh, he's you know he, although he's he, you know he's not a young young man, but you know he, he can move very quickly and very impressively, yeah. uh, and he's working with a lot of. Um, a lot of people in the fight scenes here are are people who I'm also not familiar with. So, uh, you know, uh, who I thought did really well as well. But the breast, you know, all the, yeah, the, the storyline, the pacing, you know, it's very, very, you know, this is micro-budget filmmaking. Yeah. So I don't want to be too down on it, but it really was, I I only really would recommend this for the fight scenes, yeah. uh, which luckily enough do come along fairly Fairly, I think there's about three um, major uh, sort of set pieces, as it were. Um, but it reminded me a bit of the, um, I think it's Maria Tran's film Obsidian. Do you remember mm-hmm. it was like set in a house and it was yep. like sort of a bit like sci-fi-ish kind of thing, but they had no production design or anything. It looked very basic and stuff. So the, the film here is sort of very, uh, um, very modest, um, you know, production values, I would say. I didn't. I didn't think the story, which isn't, which is kind of something we've seen variations on a lot as well. Yeah, it didn't really bring anything new to the table. It was just very, very slow getting going, um, 
and I was for for a bit. I was I almost gave up to be honest, and it was like no, because we have seen uh, uh, you know there, there are you know quite a lot of micro budget films that are you know this sort of length or maybe a bit less, whatever, yeah. which are which are a bit of a bit of a slog to get through and they don't have the the level of action uh, that we've got here as sort of the reward for the patients there and yeah. i think that is the same grace of this is that you, you if you hang on in you will see some really good you will see some good stuff mm-hmm. um because bobby samuels is so good um that would be uh that's all i can say about it really i say i i i, I was compared to um uh, so the the it's directed directed by Robert Samuels and Robert Jefferson, who previously did um, Shadow Fist uh, two. Uh, I think I'm probably they might have done Shadow Fist one together, mm-hmm. uh, but Shadow Fist two was their last film, and Shadow Fist three is sort of on the cards next. Um, but uh, Robbie Samuels did the film uh, Ugando con Fuego, which uh, he didn't direct. That was by Nicholas Ortiz, and that was a much stronger film. Yeah, that was that was couple of minutes shorter so we did we covered that as a short uh i think it was about 39 minutes long that was a much better much much more um polished uh even though even say on a very very low budget uh more polished than this i just think this one just unfortunately doesn't quite work but do check it out for the action yeah i think i agree with that there's a couple of sort of nice dialogue moments there's a bit at the beginning when he's sort of like confronted with these four people and there's a good bit of sort of back and forth dialogue between them uh, that was quite good um but other than that yeah it's it's just like you know going from a to b to c with no real sort of agenda you know even even the main character doesn't really know what's going on and it's and we we never really sort of find out too much about what's what's going on at all it's a bit of a shame but as as um, you know, Rich says uh, the, the the fight scenes are really good. If you're a fight, you know fight fan, I'm definitely worth checking out for that. Uh, this is available on YouTube, I believe, Rich. It is. Yes, yeah. uh, you can go to the uh, the uh, it's the uh, R4 Films uh, LLC channel. Uh, just yeah. look up. Um, it's well, actually we'll... quite. They've, they've not done themselves any favors with the the labeling, you know, with the name. It's literally just comes up as blackout, which is like such a generic title. They they could have added some keywords or something in to make it easier to find. But if you type R four, so R the number four films uh, LLC, uh, then you should be able to get to their channel and find it. And we'll put a link in the uh, in the footnotes. We'll put a link in the footnotes. That'll be easier. <laughs> There you go. Um, oh, we didn't we didn't score it, Rich. How are we going to score it? Uh, I'm go- I'm going to have to go about a five on this one. I think mm-hmm. um, it's it's because yeah, okay. I think it, it's not. Yeah, see it for the action. It's a five, That's basically. Yeah, yeah. Two fives then for blackout. Go check it out. There's a link in the footnotes below. Our next review is Beneath Us All. A foster child called Julie, who is about to turn 18, discovers a pendant in the forest, which soon leads her to unearthing a coffin which had been buried there by Vikings centuries earlier. Um, I was 
I was really impressed with the opening, and then I almost wrote this film off shortly afterwards. Um, I, I've, I thought it had a strong prologue, you know, the, the, these these Vikings capturing this sort of humanoid demon, putting him in a coffin, sailing him across the ocean, dumping him in the new land, you know, and, and burying him his body. And you can almost sort of see them, you know, wiping the dust off their hands as they say, get back in their longboats and, and disappear. Um, great premise. Then we get Julie, our um, sort of wayward teen foster child, who discovers a pendant in the forest. And I'm thinking, where the hell does that pendant come from? Why? You know, why, 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 why? And, and it sort of really took me out of the film for a long time. And I almost gave up on it. However, I did get into the sort of backstory of of her character and the other foster kids living with these sort of sleazy foster parents who are just in it for the money, basically. You know, they're getting the paycheck to look after them. Uh, and that's all they're interested in, you know. Um, it's, you know, that, that side of it and, the, you know, the, the sort of the dad's... Um, struggle with gambling addiction and sort of the wives just like, you know, just putting everyone down. That sort of gave it a bit of colour, which which I liked. Um how about yourself? What do you what do you get out of this, if anything? I don't know, I thought it was a bit it was I, I quite liked certain bits of it, but I did think there was a lot that was that seemed extraneous. We mm -hmm. were following a lot of characters on a lot yeah. of plot lines that really had nothing to do with the main action and really yeah. and this is... didn't, didn't impact anything at all. The, the main part of the story is the girl and the the creature that she mm -hmm. finds. Yep. And there's a lot of emphasis. Uh, Sean Whalen is the top credited uh, actor. He And... Uh, We've seen him in, you know, his character actor, we've seen him in quite a few things. Uh, it wasn't because of his presence, but I was reminded a little bit of the people under the stairs. And then I later remembered that I'm pretty sure he was the kid in the people under the stairs. Right. Um, but I don't, so I don't know if there was a subconscious thing there that made me think that, but it, there, that was another sort of a situation where, um, you know, these sort of dodgy sort of parental figures. Yeah. And then it kind of looks like, sort of like a younger, thing. it looks like a younger John Carpenter as well. Just kind of, kind of... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, I quite, so I quite liked it. There was stuff where he was going to the gambling mm. establishment and stuff where he was all dressed up. And I was thinking he looks so different between the scenes that I yeah. wondered if they were like flashbacks or something. Um, so I was a bit confused there. But anyway, all the stuff with him and the gambling and the debt, you know, in being in debt really yeah. didn't have any impact. It was more to do with, say, the girl and the monster and sort of her journey there. A bit like the, um, let's say, uh, do you remember that we covered that Etheria short, The Earl King? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and there was the girl and she was like the size for her community. Sorry? The Keep as well. It's that sort of the Keep. You know, yeah. Oh, oh, what the Michael Mann film? Michael Mann film. Yeah. Oh, I've not it's seen it, so I can't comment. Really? Yeah, it's that whole sort of like <laughs> thing where where somebody's sort of being being manipulated by, you know, um, sort of sweet talked by a demon kind of thing, basically. Yeah, yeah. So there's all that stuff going on with them, yeah. which is kind of being developed. But the majority of the attention is on like this. Um, uh, uh, child support, child, child protection officer, yeah. sort of who keeps coming and checking on on Julie, and uh, the 
say the the father's gambling problem and and a couple and I think there's a couple of other things going on, but really none of that has anything to do with the main, and it doesn't have any bearing. You, you know, like we get the say the child protection officer she's going out and uh, she's anxious about the case and you know sort of um, trying to help mm-hmm. the girl and uh, she goes out for drinks with um, uh, a, a you know police officer and and they sort of turn mm. up to. Like they they're they're all involved, but it really has no no bearing whatsoever, does it? Did you no, did you not, feel there was any real connection? Not, not really. Um, and, so that bugs you know, me I, when I was, I was watching it. I was thinking, yeah. I quite I, I was quite in, I didn't mind the characters and stuff. It was okay, but I just didn't feel the dots connected. It was almost like I was watching different yeah. different strands. Like it was almost like an anthology kind of thing. But other but none of that stuff really got wrapped. None of the other stuff got wrapped up, so it was just like, well, is this just filler? Is this padding? Um, and unfortunately, this is something that uh, the director Harley Wallen, you know, I've, I've mentioned about him before. We, we we covered a few films by him now, and I've, I've covered some of my other uh, website. Uh, he did a, he did a film called Betrayed, which mm-hmm. which I, I did like. But it was way too long and had too many characters. We we covered uh, Ash and Bone on here. That's another one of his, um, which which again had superfluous characters. You know, Ash and Bone. Funny enough, it starts with a great scene with this this um, actress who's like the sheriff in this town, and she finds this body, and then mm. she's hardly in it again. You know, for the rest of the film, and he's like, "No, I want this to be about her." You know. But, he kind of robbed from it. Um, yeah, and I, I was going to sort of lay lay this all at Harley Wallen's feet, but he didn't actually write this one. Uh, this is written by a guy called Brett Miller. Um, but he, even so, you know, you, you'd have hoped that some of this would have got trimmed from from the um, the shooting script in the end. But yeah, I think do, do, they sort of? Imp- I mean, it's, it seems to be to one degree or another a quite abusive household. Did you get the sense that it was a that the children were being sexually abused? Because I sort of got an implication that maybe that was the case. But um, I think it, I think the oldest really... was. I think I think you know there's an element. Um, yeah, it's, it's a weird thing. There's a conversation she has with her stepdad or her foster dad, where he's hmm. sort of saying, "Oh, you need you need to step up. You need you need to do a better job." And she's like, what are you talking about? And you go, you know what I mean. You know, and it's like, okay, that's creepy. <laughs> you know, the, yeah, yeah. It, it sounds very weird. Um, but yeah, and, and the whole thing of her, what, you know, it's like, well, you know, the the, um, the child support person trying to help her, you know, get into college and all that sort of stuff. And, he, and her sort of foster mum sort of going, oh, yeah, we'll see about that kind of thing. So, oh, okay, you know, yeah, you can imagine you know, what's going to happen next. There's there's a bit where it's implied that they ate the cat as well. <laughs> they, they, um, they cooked the cat or something. And and it goes to one of those sort of taboo places as well, which seems to be off limits to a lot of um, horror movies, which, which I was quite impressed with. I thought that, mm. was, um, that was a good little moment, you know, for the story at least. So, yeah. So, yeah, a bit, a bit of good and bad. I mean, from a technical point of view, you know there are issues with the script. Um, technically, it's clear they they didn't have the best equipment. You know um, the film does look quite flat. You know the um, the lighting is isn't particularly great through you know the um, 
sort of the night scenes and things like that. It's it's it doesn't look particularly good, but that's down to budget. You know, that's not down to talent. That's down to budget. Mm. Um, whereas the script, I think, and and the pacing, that is down to talent, unfortunately. You know, and and it needs needs to be tighter. Needs to be maybe a few less characters, as you say. Um, maybe spend more. I mean, you know, there are some nice scenes where, like, you know, when, when she takes the kid to see uh, Frey, you know, and it, it, those sort of whole things like, oh, yeah, I found him and all the rest of it. And it, it, all of that I, I quite liked. It's just, um, as you say, too, too, too many characters sort of slowing the pace down. And on yeah, that note, and the, um, go on. Sorry, I was just thinking that, you know, the stuff with the parents and the, the sort of abusive household kind of thing. The, a film, uh, another short, I think, that we talked about came to mind, which was uh, From Darkness, which had Michael Bean in it. Do you remember mm. that one where he, the boy had like telekinetic powers and no, stuff? And it was because he was, and he was, didn't we? I forgot, I could have sworn we Maybe we didn't <laughs> talk about that one. <laughs> I might have talked, it might have been one that I talked about with um, Matt Poirier on. Uh, DTV connoisseur, but um, but yeah, yeah, that's another film that came out worth seeing as a little 14 minute short. But that's another one where um, you know, they're in this household and uh, the uh, uh, it, it uses uh, sort of fantastical uh, you know, themes to to sort of develop you know, how they sort of uh, def not defend themselves, but as a response to what happens, it sort of awakens uh, sort of. Uh, but I think actually some, some some other sort of superhero movies have kind of mm -hmm. done sort of similarly. Um, oh, I remember that oh, uh, what Poison, it was. Poison yeah. Ivy one with um, was... um, Eric Roberts. Yes, yes. And uh, so I think like, uh, I'm not sure if it was Split or something, the Mike, uh, M. Night Shyamalan movie was sort of doing a similar thing where they were trying to... Anyway, but this one isn't doing superhero powers, but it's kind yeah. of a, as a response to her... Uh, living in this abusive situation, she kind of uh, embraces the darkness sort of thing. Yeah. As, as that's what's yeah, happening exactly. here and that. But uh, there yeah. Was, um, there was another film we covered a, a while ago called The Shed. Yeah. Funnily enough, I was thinking about that one as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah with the two, two, two young guys who find a vampire basically yeah 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 you're right i was trying to think of i was i was i was thinking it it popped into my head and i was thinking why am i thinking of that film but yes you're right it was also another kind of uh you know uh, you yeah. know demonic creature you know uh, in a kept in an outhouse kind of thing yeah, so yeah. yeah um would you recommend this mike what do you think is it recommendable i think i think this there, there is bits here as as there are with a lot of Harley Wallen's films, um, I, th I think it's on the cusp, basically. Yeah, there's some there's some interesting elements to it, but it, it, the the pacing's slow. You need you need a bit of patience for this one, mm. for sure. Uh, and on that note, I think I'll give it a five out of ten. Yeah, I think uh, I, I was leaning more leaning towards the six, but I think a five is fair. Mm -hmm. There you go. Two fives for Beneath Us All. Go check it out. Uh, this is on Prime, I believe, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Get if, you got, if you've got Amazon, you can go check it out right now. Our short shot this week is The Lost Relic. A Star Wars archivist discovers a lost reel of film which proves to be the missing link between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. 
I really like this. Um, yeah, it's not far removed from the quality that you'd expect from an actual Star Wars film. Mm. Uh, you know, other than extras, extras is what's missing, basically. Um, but what they actually show, um, and the accents as well. Um, but, you know, this is actually pretty decent, what they actually sort of put on screen. The sound effects, the music, um, you know, the props and everything are all first rate. Um, that moment when the Star Destroyer turns up, I thought was brilliant. You know, that sort of comes out of cyberspace kind of thing. Um, and I, I thought they did a really good job. You know, if, if if somebody wanted to believe that this was the plan all along from <laughs> Return of the Jedi to, to you know, segue into The Force Awakens. Um, because at the end of the day, someone's got to give Kylo Ren that um, bloody mask, you know. Mm. So... How did it get there? There you go. I thought it was, you know, obviously somebody else pondered that thought while they're watching it, going, well, how the hell did that get there? That was on Endor. <laughs> yeah. And somebody went and kicked over some ashes and that. Um, yeah, so I, I was very impressed with this overall. Um, what did you make of it? Yeah, I thought it was very good. I mean, I love, I absolutely love the framing device of the, of the archivist. Mm. That was really not, I didn't expect that when it started. Yeah, uh, and I was like, "Oh, is this going to be?" Because I didn't know it was a framing thing. I thought, "Oh, is it is is it like a contemporary sort of set in the real world kind of story?" Mm-hmm. But then you realise it's it's just a sort of a framing, which is great because we've seen we've seen films that are in the style of Star Wars a yeah. million times, and that's what this is. But that extra bit just works works so great, and it's got all you know for that. I mean, so much attention to detail. You know, you could if a hardcore fan could like pause every frame and yeah. just see and start reading all the different films. So many references. And, yeah, yeah. and yeah, it's like all the references a bit, you know, you got them, um, uh, the memorabilia and stuff in the background mm. uh, sort of the props and stuff. So there's a lot to sort of take in, uh, on that, on just on, on that sort of framing part alone, which I thought was really good. Um, but then the film, it, it you know, the, the, the scene or the film, the film itself, the concept is like, say, it's an end scene, like almost like a post-credit scene nowadays yeah, yeah. Exactly. of of um, of what's happened, what happens afterwards, or something. Uh, it the concept of it being from uh, Return of the Jedi uh, doesn't quite. If 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 they'd have done maybe some like uh, some work on the visuals and stuff to you know like post-production sort of uh, you mm-hmm. know the grainy adding a grain and all that sort yeah, of stuff yeah. to make it look it like a bit it was. Too clean, yeah. Yeah, it looks very modern. So it looks more uh, as it was made because they at the end of the film they sort of make a note of saying, "Oh, this is from 1983." You know, they're trying to they're trying to sell it as that, mm. which visually it just doesn't. Well, it does. Fit. It does start and end a bit like that, doesn't it? With a bit of sort of scratchy frames and that, but then it goes completely digital. You know, when, when the so. film starts. Um, as you say, the accents. This is a French production, but it's uh, shot in English. Uh, I think that's. Only, only very slightly to its detriment. It, it works okay. Um, it's, I don't have a. It's, it's the only, real, it's the only real element which which labels this as a fan film. I think mm. you know. I mean, other than that, you, you wouldn't oh, know. The, you know, the costumes, yeah, the visual and effects are great. Yeah. You know, you got the R two D two ish kind of. Uh, you know, draw. You got the droid and the and the uh, the X wing and um, 
like, as you say, the destroyer and all uh, the, uh, the tie. Was it? Tie? No, it's not the tie fighter. Right, Which one's the right, one that escapes the, um, at the end? It's the shuttle, the Imperial, Imperial shuttle. Yeah, yeah. Um, all that stuff is um, is really good. And so I say the music is is cribbed from Star Wars. So it's um, it's John it's John Williams and uh, John Williams score as well as music by uh, Michael Giacchino. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, when when films do that, sometimes when they take actually a score from the act from like a big budget movie or something, it does make a it does really sort of sell the film more and. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, although I would have liked to have seen an original score in the style of John Williams, yeah, it does re- it does work perfectly, and it really sells the feel of the of the film as as being the uh, as being almost like the real deal. It, it's a great idea, uh, you know, fan fiction of okay, well, how, how are we going to get from the end of there to the <laughs> to the to the start of the new series? Well, and, I mean, they you show know, if you, if you think about and, yeah, you think about all of Rogue One. You know, the whole mm. thing is sort of building up to that moment of getting getting that disc in the hand of Princess Leia, you know, uh, and, and they sort of, you know, they, they do that. Uh, but no, no one was really thinking along those sort of lines, well, how did she get it? And that's kind of what what we've got here. It's, it's kind of that moment of, of getting that, you know, Darth Vader's helmet into the hands of Kylo Ren, um, mm. you know, o- over the course of 30 years kind of thing. I thought it was... Um, a neat, a neat little bit. So yeah, no, I thought it was it's an interesting element. No, nobody else has thought of it, you know. And it, it could have been really flat, but they 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 give it some, you know, quite an epic feel. Um, yeah, I thought it was great. There's been some good uh, Star Wars fan films which are out this year, which are uh, hopefully in the future episode of of either this show or the short shots, mm. we will get to. Uh, cover them in more depth but i will just uh throw out a couple that i think you should see which is uh uh pod racer i think it was called uh which is a a short made in the style of a trailer so it's only about a minute long but that's uh sort of a that's a direct uh um force of you know <clears throat> sorry the uh the phantom menace uh sort of direct sort of imaginary spin-off mm-hmm. of of the, the pod race sequences from that uh, and bright star which is from the makers of a film called Past and Future Kings, which we covered way back when. Oh yeah, um, a few years ago. Um, that's very well worth checking out. So, uh, and a, uh, so yeah, a lot of um, and the I will say the Bucketheads um, web series mm-hmm. uh, also a spinoff, uh, also based on a short film. There's been the short film, and uh, this year they made uh, the second episode of the series. Um, that's worth seeing. Unfortunately, because it's a web series, they set a lot up and there's not really any resolution. But I'm hoping that they'll get funding for for a third episode. But do check out Bucketheads uh, as well. Cool. And uh, yeah, so um, yeah, lots of say the Lost Reddit really for me stands out uh, from a lot of those other Star Wars films, and it's I say uh, mainly because of that fantastic sort of framing framing device. It all just works so perfectly for me. Yeah. I agree. We don't score the shorts, but we do recommend you check them out. And you will find a link to this in the footnotes below. Go check it out. Our DTV throwback this week is Made Men. A former mobster, now in witness protection, is hiding out in a small town with his wife. However, his old boss discovers where he is and sends a small posse down to take care of him and retrieve some money he'd stolen. Excuse me. Um, 
How old is this one, Rich? Is it 19? This is from 1999. 1999. Uh, stars Jim Belushi. Um, that's our sort of eponymous Bobby. What was it? Um, what's his name in this? Bill Minucci. Bill Minucci. Yeah, it's a Billy Bob. That's it. Yeah, that's what everyone calls him because it's that sort of place. Yeehaw. Um, and and Jim Belushi is is very good in this. He, he he's in that sort of like um, kind of shouty, um, you know, full of one liners, kind of you know, uh, in one liner insults, sort of, um, very you know, quite quite amusing. Um, but the film is stolen from under him by Timothy Dalton, who, you know, I was watching the credits and I'm thinking, oh, oh, Timothy Dalton's in this. That's interesting. And then watching it, wondering where the hell Timothy Dalton is. And I'm probably a good sort of 30 minutes into the film before I realise that the sheriff is Timothy Dalton. (laughs) And I was like, what the hell? Because I've never, ever heard Timothy Dalton do an American accent. Uh, you know, and and he does it so well. And he just he he becomes this sort of you know this this um, asshole cop so brilliantly. Um, I, I thought all his scenes were great. You know, uh, re- really were. But it, it's it's a messy film. Um, you know, there's all sorts of people after Billy Bob. Um, you know, this is old crew. Uh, this is boss, whoever he is. No one's ever seen him. It's one of those sort of Kaiser Soze kind of characters. Um, and so Billy Bob is he, he's a bit of an arsehole, unfortunately. He, 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 you know, he is difficult to like. Um, because we find out that while he's in witness protection, he, you know, he's he's setting up drug deals and all this sort of stuff with the locals. Um, and even you know, at the end, he, you know, he still hasn't learned his lesson. He's still trying to sort of pull up, pull up um, a scam, or you know, all all the, all the way through. So. You, they're trying to portray him as a lovable rogue, but he just comes across as a complete asshole, unfortunately. A bit like um, Charles Grodin in um, Midnight Run, for that matter. A film I detest, by the way. I, I've never, ever got oh, on really? with it. I've never got on with it. I don't I don't understand its appeal to people, but there you go. Um, yeah, so, so this is a nice oldie. Um, it's produced by Richard Donner and Joel Silver which was another thing that made me sit up and pay attention. Uh, we, we do get some nice sort of shootouts and things. Um, you know, the action's pretty well done. The, the direction's very well done. It's just the characters, you know, or the character that sort of wound me up a bit. Anyway, um, this is one I know you'd, you'd seen before, Rich. Um, what can you say about it? Yeah, I, I, um, I was provided this by uh, Will at Exploding Helicopter. Uh, hmm. I, he, he kindly passed it on to me. I've been wanting to see it again for years, um, and because I, I remember, it, I think it premiered uh, on Sky uh, hmm. back in you know when it when it first came out. I'm pretty sure it was that made its sort of de- debut on Sky. Directed by Louis Morneau, who uh, uh, Jim Belushi also did Retroactive with another very good shot in the yeah. I've got Blu-ray. I love that film. So he was on kind of that. That was a good partnership. Those guys mm-hmm. working together. I think the um, the snappy, you know, like you say, Jim Belushi insults kind of uh, you know thing. You know, he's he's just on he's on his usual form, uh, doing all that stuff. You know, that's what he's best at. Um, that kind of uh, really 
like you say, he's not. He's just been he's been quite mean and stuff a lot of the time, and you know, it's like. Um, but occasionally, you know, yeah, I think he's quite. He is kind of. They're trying to play that kind of lovable rogue kind of thing, um, which sometimes it, it works okay. It was also uh, I was quite interested to see when I was watching it now because I feel like it does stand up mm-hmm. um, as good as when I first saw it. The cast is incredible. Um, you know, you've got um, like you say Timothy Dalton in there, but. Uh, you've also got uh, uh, Michael Beach. Check on there. Michael Beach is really good. Vanessa Angel turns up. Steve Railsback's in there, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah. So the the film is it's it's quite hard to get. I think it, it's not really had much of a release since I think it's been it's on DVD, but mm-hmm. you can't really find it very easily to stream. Uh, when I was watching it, apart from say seeing the names Richard Donner and Joel Silver on the credits, but also Miles Miller and Alfred Goff worked on it. And this was something they, that this came out between um, uh, or around the same time as uh, their work with Jackie Chan and Sammo Hung with uh, Mm -hmm. the Shanghai noon and nights and uh, the martial law TV series. And they've kind of become, they're still very successful with, with working on a lot of action TV. Uh, I think like into the badlands was one of theirs and, uh, they did a lot of stuff. They did like Smallville and uh, various, various <clears throat> films, and I mean different stuff as well. They've done things like Herbie and stuff as well. But mm. um, I do quite associate them with uh, some quite st- uh, some quite good quality action uh, 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 and comedy kind of mm. stuff, uh, which I think is you know their stamp is kind of on this with uh, say the uh, the other credited screenwriter, which is. Uh, uh, Robert Frank. So mm-hmm. uh, whether they did a rewrite or something, I'm not sure. Anyway, um, so there's lots of sort of quality marks of sort of quality here. It's a it's a low, it's a rel- relatively low budget movie um, put out by um, uh, say it, it 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 probably went direct to video in the states. Say it was over on, on Sky over here, but the script is really snappy. There's, there's loads of great characters. The, the twists of I mean, there's so many twists, it's ridiculous. It's like, it's, like, it's, like, it's all twisting on itself. There's some nice moments of action with some uh, with some car stuff, and uh, it's all shot really nicely. Um, it's I don't I think it's one of those films that not many people have heard of, and they probably it, it would be nice if if it was it was more available so that people could could check it out. Uh, yeah. So it's definitely worth one trying to track it down if you can. Um, I, don't, I think it's if you're a if you're a Jim James Belushi fan, it, it's definitely and you haven't seen it, it. This is definitely him on sort of his top form, uh, you know. Um, and it, it deli- for me, I think it delivers on everything that you would want it to. And yeah, Timothy Dalton is really great. Hmm. Yeah, but he is. Um, when, when you mentioned this one, I, I thought of another film with Jim Belushi called Real Men. Have you seen that one? That's the one with John Ritter, isn't it? John Ritter, yeah. He, yeah, which I don't think I've ever seen. It's it's pretty good. Yeah, it is a pretty good one if we if we ever get the chance to see that. And again, he, he's in this sort of smarmy sort of mode, mode in that one where he's um he, he basically picks on John Ritter and and makes him his um you know sidekick uh, while while he's on this mission and sort of drags him along as as cover. It's it was, yeah, quite enjoyed that one. Well, we mentioned Midnight Run earlier and Charles mm. Grodin. Have you ever seen Fi- uh, Filofax or Taking Care of Business, as it was originally no. called? No, I've seen so that. So that is kind of Jim Belushi makes Charles Grodin's life hell 
kind right. of comedy and, and again just, that's that's one of my favorites um, that was i think dtv uh, you know or straight to video as it would have been in 1990 yeah, I remember I love it that coming film. out yeah never, never did see that one it's probably the title put me off <laughs> what filofax yeah even though i had one at the oh. time <laughs> I used to. I, I loved Final. I wanted oh. Final so badly. Yeah, <laughs> so, so, but um, apparently, I'm looking at. I'm looking at the um, the list, the page list for it. Apparently, J.J. Abrams is in that film, which really? is weird. But, uh, yeah. Well, that is coming up. As it says, cast. It says James J.J. Abrams. I don't know. Anyway, but um, it, it that'll be another one. You, yeah, it is interesting when you sort of dig out these films and sort of like you, you start going through the. You know, it's like it's like when I mentioned um, full eclipse. You know, it's like well, I wonder who's if, is anyone recognisable in this? And sure enough, there was. Yeah, no, it's just good fun. Yeah, Timothy Dalton's amazing in this. Um, he, he, yeah, class actor for sure. We don't score the throwbacks, just like the shorts. But um, if you can track this one down, we don't know if it's on any streaming service at the moment. Um, we, we managed to be shown a DVD copy. Um, we'll put the trailer on on the um, in in the footnotes. So hopefully you can track it down if you're interested. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was interesting seeing um, Joel Silver's name and and Richard Donner for that matter as as, as the producers it did um, sort of perk me up a bit for sure. I think that was um I don't know if that's associated with you know whether this came out of like Lethal Weapon Four because I think mm. um Goff and Miller worked on Lethal Weapon or at least one of them worked on Lethal Weapon Four for those guys. So it could have been, that could have there, there could be some sure. sort of uh link there of how the how the production came about. It might have originally been intended as a Richard Donner project and mm. and uh, you know it, it, it ended up sort of going a different way or something. I'm not sure. I'd, I'd love to know more about that because, you, you know, Richard Donner's, I mean, Joel Silver's had his name on quite a few DTV movies, yeah. but not Richard Donner, I don't think. I think yeah. that's that's quite unusual to see his name attached to, to something like this. So uh, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Okay, uh, that is the end of this week's show. So thank you for listening. Thank you to Rich for joining me and going through these films. How could you miss the opportunity to review Silent Night, for example. Of course you couldn't. Um, so this is probably the last main show of the year. Uh, well, I think I counted the other day, Rich. We've covered something in the region of 150 to 160 films. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, pretty decent. Um, I, I've actually sort of... I'm preparing my list for our sort of end of year show, which we're probably going to record in January, um, because you know we've still got films like Rebel Moon to come out, so who knows what that's like. Um, but I think I got my list down to about 26 at the moment, and mm-hmm. trying to get 26 down to 10, um, and it's proving a bit proving a bit difficult at the moment. So yeah, a lot of we've lot done of over, I think, like over 30 episodes this year. Exactly. Think, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. We've done quite well. So. Yeah. So anyway, um, look for, stay tuned, look forward to um, our end of year review. Um, Merry Christmas, everybody. And Merry Christmas. Yeah. Uh, Steve will be back. Um, and yeah, uh, roll on 2024. There's already a whole load of interesting films uh, coming out. You've got The Bricklayer, we've got the beekeeper we got the god knows what else one more shot we've got coming out so yeah loads and loads of good stuff heading our way in january february thank you for listening merry christmas tune in next time
Thank you for listening to the DTV Digest. Let us know your thoughts in the comments and tune in again next time.